There was one more uh, glorious announcement, um, and it's that uh, Victoria Sarandis and Nicholas Sarandis were baptized uh, today. So uh, Nick was a former uh, uh, pastor elder here, was on the board, and Victoria and Nicholas were, um, I've known them since they were little, and um, just to see God do a work in their heart and to bring them to the knowledge of the truth and then to commit uh, their lives to Christ uh, is a glorious truth. And so they were baptized today at their new church that they were going to. So um, just all glory to God for that, um, for their salvation, and to know that Christ will hold them fast, just as he's holding all of us fast. And so uh, that is good news uh, this morning. So today, we are beginning um, a five-week-long study in the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. What comes to your mind when you hear Jonah? Now, probably uh, a whale, or if you come from a Bible-teaching church where they handle God's word accurately, you're saying, no, it's a big fish. Uh, it's whatever comes to your mind. Um, it's, it's okay. We all have uh, different, um, different backgrounds with Jonah. Um, it's embedded in my mind, the book of Jonah from youth, you know, drawing pictures of whales and coloring them and Jonah falling off the side of a, a boat and being swallowed up and, and then spit on shore. I mean, we've all um, you know, had those visions and reinforced in our minds. But Jonah, as we're going to see, um, is actually much more uh, than just about a man who God saved by having him swallowed by a great fish who spit him up on shore. Uh, the book of Jonah, as we're going to see, is... Um, more than that, and there's actually something really powerful in this book that is being communicated to us by God. And I think it's very applicable to us uh, today in light of the current state of our nation. And, and what do I mean by that? Um, if you look at our nation, it's easy at this point to become discouraged, right? I mean, you can look at the, just the sexual immorality uh, you can look at the lack of justice and the violation of laws all over the land. Uh, we make laws for people to wear masks, but we abort children by the millions every year. Like, I mean, it's, it is so turned upside down. Um, you have our, our government that is basically letting prisoners who have committed rape and murder of, of all kinds of nature out of prisons, right? You see him just releasing them into the streets. And so there's a sense in which the lawlessness of our nation is manifesting itself in a, it, it's always been manifested, but it almost seems like the manifestation is just increasing. And so you're looking at a nation that uh, pornography is a multi-billion dollar business. I mean, I could go on. Like, it, it's really, really bad in terms of the moral 
framework of our, of our nation, and we seem to be going further and further away from um, the gospel. We seem to be going further and further away from an understanding of the law of God that, that this nation at one point was more grounded in. And during times like this, you can start to think, you know what, like, this nation is completely gone, and God cannot bring revival to a people like this because it is so lost, and it is so corrupt, and it is so perverted that we are just hopelessly gone. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling like, wow, this is just, we're gone. And then I read Jonah, and I see Jonah, which is a book that reminds us that salvation belongs to who? To the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and it reminds us that if we are faithful to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, he can save an entire nation for his glory in a moment. Just as his judgment we read in Revelation is that day will come when judgment comes, so now in this day, before that judgment comes, in a moment, God can turn an entire nation around. He can. Doesn't mean he will, but he can. And I was so encouraged in reading Jonah that I wanted to share that with you. He turns around in Jonah, and we'll see some of their wickedness, but he turns around this wicked nation of Assyria through the proclaiming of his word, and he does it in a moment. And so he can turn around a nation that is as immoral as our own is becoming. I know he can. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through some of the background to Jonah. We're going to go through the major main themes and purpose of this book. And it's introductory. However, um, I know that your hearts are going to be encouraged um, by this reminder that um, it's God's power unto salvation for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's ask God to bless our time in his word. Father, we thank you so much for uh, books like Jonah. Uh, we know that we become so familiar with them, oh God, that we sometimes can't think of but our childhood pictures and drawings and uh, we don't see the deeper purpose for which you gave us these books and, and for how it points us to Christ and the hope of salvation. And so I pray that this study, Father, would be a study that, that strengthens us as your people in the midst of this country that we're living in, a country that is increasingly, Father, seems to be uh, going in the wrong direction. And we just ask, oh God, that, that you would encourage our hearts to remind us through the reading of Jonah and the study of it that salvation belongs to you and that you are the one who um, authors it and you are the one who brings it about. You are the one who ordains the salvation of men and women's souls. 
And so as you saved an entire nation and a whole city of Nineveh, oh God, we pray that you would do the same in this country and that your word would go forth. So encourage us to be bold and faithful and help us to understand this book for the glory of Christ. And in his name we pray, amen. All right. So we're going to read the book of Jonah, uh, chapters 1 to 3. So if you look back after the prophets, right, it, the prophets, you have the major prophets, and then you have the 12 minor prophets start. So it will begin there after Daniel. You'll find Hosea, and then about four books in, you find, uh, I think it's four, four or five, you find Jonah. It's just a real small book, a small book. And there's some unique things about this book that I'll share with you as we start. But I thought it would be good for us to actually, it doesn't take that long to read it. And I'm not going to read chapter four. Uh, I'm just going to read through chapter three. But let's just listen to the account, okay? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will repay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let them and beasts be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Wow. What a powerful, powerful testimony, an amazing account of God's salvation. A whole city, Nineveh, and their king repented and turned to God in a short amount of time. Judgment was warranted against them, but God showed, showed them mercy. Now, in order to fully appreciate that message of Jonah, it, it really is important for us to understand something about the context of this book. And we'll go through that in more detail as we go. But the, the context really helps. Um, so let me start. It's the dating of Jonah and when it's written is important. And it's hard to precisely point the date. But what we do know is that Jonah was written between the early 8th century 
but no later than the third century. And there's two reasons for that. First, because it's mentioned, Jonah is, it's mentioned in the apocryphal work of Ben Sirah. If you've ever heard of that, it's an extra canonical work. It's, we don't consider it to be scripture. But Ben Sirah, uh, which is dated around 186 BC, mentions the book of Jonah. Okay, so that puts it at least, it has to be written before he can mention it, right? But the second reason is also clear from the book itself because the events that Jonah is describing here and the cities involved are portraying that the events are occurring in the 8th century. So if you look at the very first verse of Jonah, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and it says, The son of Amittai. All right? Now we don't know if Jonah wrote this or someone else wrote what Jonah did, but we do know that Jonah of Amittai is actually mentioned in 2 Kings 14. So you can turn back to 2 Kings um, 14. We're going to be in Kings a little bit um, in the next few minutes here, but 2 Kings 14, 25. What we see is um, we see Jonah is the son of Amittai, and verse 25 says he was also from Gath-Hefer, and that's a city near Nazareth. And we see that he was a prophet of the Lord to the northern tribes of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. So Jeroboam II would have reigned sometime between 793 and 753 before God judges the northern tribe by Assyria, of which Nineveh is a city, in 722. So those two points give us this framework of the book. But importantly, it gives us this background. So when you are looking at 2 Kings, you're going to see that before Jeroboam II's reign, um, which Jonah ministered under, before his reign, back in, now you, if you want to purview it, you can, 2 Kings 9 to 10, gives us, the, gives us the reign of a king named Jehu. Okay? Jehu... We're told that he wiped out Baal worship in Israel. That's what 2 Kings 9 to 10 is about. Uh, Jehu was a, a king in the northern tribe of Israel. He, he wipes out Baal worship in the northern tribes, and he brings judgment on the house of Ahab and his wife, Jezebel, who basically promoted idolatry and Baal worship. And Elijah had said that they would be judged, and so God uses Jehu to bring this judgment on them, which is a good thing, because the northern tribes are, are basically grounded in idolatry, and the northern tribes, in fact, the very beginning of their separation from the southern tribes was established on idolatry. That's the first thing that Jeroboam the first did. He set up idols. He said, I don't want the, I don't want the northern tribe to go into the southern tribe and, and therefore go back to the temple. So let's set up our own gods as far as Dan. And they set up these idols to prevent all the northern tribes from going into the, as far to worship in the south, in the southern tribes of Israel. And so this is an idolatrous northern Israel and so Jehu is one of those kings who basically 
gets rid of Baal worship and brings judgment on Ahab. Now, um, okay, so he wipes it out, and it's a good thing for him to do. Now, if you look at 1 Kings 12, 25 to 28, no, no, that, I'm sorry, you don't have to turn back there. So we're also told that, that King Jeroboam II, I'm sorry, it's not Jehu. Oh, man, I totally messed it up. Jehu is the king, oh, man. Man, how did I get confused? Okay, go back. You know what? I should look in my Bible and not my notes. Go, let's go back to um, 2 Kings 6, I mean 2 Kings 9. All right, so here's Jehu, he's anointed king, and, and the Elijah, and he does wipe out um, Ahab and Jezebel, and he brings this judgment. And so the point I wanted to make about Jehu that's important is that after he strikes them down and all who remained in Ahab's house, and yes, he does strike down the prophets of, of Baal, God tells him, that's right, God tells him that he is going to bless his generations there in chapter 10, in starting in verse 28. It says, Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. So he does this good thing. He eliminates Baal worship and, and the house of Ahab, but still Jehu is somewhat clinging to his sin, um, to the sin of the people. Um, but yet God says there in 2 Kings 10, 30 to 31, still God says, though, to Jehu, I will bless your seed to the fourth generation, and one of your sons will sit on the throne of Israel during that time. So God shows mercy to Jehu's house. This is the point. Even though he still deserves judgment for his disobedience. You understand? So Jehu does a good thing. He's still clinging to sin. He still deserves judgment for worshiping um, the golden calf. However, God says, because you did this good thing, I'm going to show you mercy. And King Jeroboam II now, who is of Jehu's line, is the last in line of the four generations of kings over Israel. Right? God is still showing these kings mercy as a result of Jehu. And so King Jeroboam II is the fourth. So Jeroboam II now... In his reign in Israel, we read this in 2 Kings 14 now, okay? 2 Kings 14, 23. It says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. 
And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel. So what you're seeing here is King Jeroboam II is also doing evil. He's following in his father's footsteps. He's doing evil in the sight of the, the Lord. And yet, we see that just as God showed mercy to Jehu, who wiped out Baal worship but still deserved judgment, so here God blesses King Jeroboam II's reign and shows him mercy in that Despite his evil, God restores the border of Israel from Lebeth Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Mercy from God, even though they, de they deserved judgment. Israel is rebellious, but God is merciful. And so it's this idea of God's mercy and Israel's rebellion that are really major themes that carry throughout Jonah. Israel is rebellious, but God is merciful flows right out of the historical context of these kings. God keeps showing his mercy to this rebellious northern tribe of Israel even though they deserve judgment, okay? This is the historical context of it. And so this nation of Assyria, of which Nineveh is a city, at this point in the history of Jonah, is probably a formidable foe in their minds. This nation of Assyria, even though there's a sense that Jeroboam II is having success, and Assyria is kind of backing away right now and things are going well for Israel, this nation of Assyria in their minds, though, is still an enemy. They're not as powerful. They're not as strong. And, and God is expanding Jeroboam's kingdom. But for Israel, they have a memory of Assyria. And the memory of Assyria goes back to earlier when Assyria came and conquered the northern tribes of Israel, and King Jehu. So if you, if you go back, um, the, if you read, not go back, but if you were to look at this historical, there's this historical black obelisk of Shalamanzer III, and it was from 858 to 824, so this is during the reign of King Jehu. And you can see it in a British museum, I've never seen it, but if I've seen the pictures of it, but it's in a British museum in London, and it shows King Jehu of Israel, 842 to 815, as well as others coming down and paying homage to Shalmaneser III, king of Assyria. And it says this on the obelisk in the Akkadian language. It says, 
I, and that means Shalamanzer, Shalamanzer, received the tribute of Tyre, Sidon, and of Jehu, son of Omri. And so in their minds, they're looking at Assyria. Jeroboam II is having success, but they remember back in the time of Jehu when Jehu was paying homage to the king of Assyria. And so it's not a good place in their minds. And so in this historical context of Israel's rebellion, God's mercy, Jonah is called now to go into Assyria and to Nineveh and to preach God's judgment on this nation so that God may show them mercy. He is commissioned to preach repentance to a pagan Gentile nation so that they might receive God's mercy, even though they deserve judgment. Israel, the northern tribes deserve judgment. God has been showing them mercy. Nineveh deserves judgment. God wants to show them mercy. Jonah is called from this northern tribes of Israel to go and to preach judgment in the city of Nineveh so that God might show them mercy. Now, that's the context. Now, one of the things that is unique about Jonah, and you can turn back there if you're not already there. One of the things that's unique about Jonah among the prophets, there's, there's a couple of things. There's nothing unique about a prophet who speaks the word of the Lord, right? That's normal. The word of the Lord comes to a prophet, whoever it is, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and the word of the Lord says, I want you to speak this word to the people of Israel. And so that's what they do. But what is unique about Jonah is that unlike other prophets that were called to speak the word of the Lord to Israel, within Israel, Jonah is actually called to be a prophet to Gentiles outside the boundaries of Israel. This is unique. God sent him to preach a message of repentance to the citizens of Nineveh, a people belonging to the Assyrian Empire who was extremely wicked. And another thing that makes this book unique is that is in the way it communicates the prophetic word of God to Israel. So what in writing this down, we're, we're looking at a prophet who's called to go outside of Israel, but God is also communicating something through this book to his people, and the way that he is communicating is actually not through, Jonah, I want you to go to Israel and to say such and such, but I want your very life and experience, Jonah, to be the message that I'm giving to Israel. Does that make sense? Because this is for Israel, this book, but Jonah's called to go outside but yet what we're reading is given to us by God because God is trying to say something by the life and ministry of Jonah to Israel. 
Another place you see this done is through the prophet who? Hosea. Do you remember Hosea? Hosea communicated a message to Israel, and he communicated it with his wife, Gomer, who kept leaving him, and he kept, right? His very life and the name of his kids, even, was communicating something to Israel. It's the same idea here. God, God is communicating something to Israel by the life of Jonah. So that's unique. That's unique. So even through this experience of Jonah, one thing we have to remember is that Jonah is the main, is, the, is driving the story, his experience, but God is the focus of the book. This is the one thing they, he's trying to tell them in this book. The primary theme and message of the book is, as we said, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is what he's trying to tell Israel. And he's going to bring it about through judgment and mercy for all who call upon his name. That's what Jonah is communicating in this book here. Salvation belongs to the Lord and it is through divine judgment and mercy that he brings it for all who call upon his name. So if you look at what we read earlier, Jonah 2, 8 to 10, right there in the middle of the book, after Jonah is swallowed by the, the great fish, he prays out to God, and he ends his prayer like this, a smack dab in the middle of the book. Those who pray re pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Okay? So this is what Jonah realizes. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That message that salvation belongs to the Lord, it reaches far beyond Jonah and the sailors and Nineveh and the nation of Israel, doesn't it? It's a message, a worldwide message that has eternal ramifications for all people because it's a salvation that is offered to Jew and Gentile alike through the death, resurrection, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. God's love and mercy extends to sinners of all nations and peoples. The only salvation available to mankind is the salvation that belongs to the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And it is available not only to Jonah and the nation of Israel, but it is available and extends to the ends of the earth for all peoples and nations. This is the message which God is pointing to through the life of his servant Jonah. That is so important to understand. When you are reading Jonah, yes, there is a context that he's communicating to Israel, but what is he communicating to Israel that salvation belongs to the Lord? And Assyria is learning salvation belongs to the Lord. But at the end of the day, God gives us Jonah, not so that we might understand that 
Boy, the nation of Israel understood that salvation belonged to the Lord. Boy, the nation, the city of Nineveh came to understand that salvation belongs to the Lord. Those are all true. But he gives us this book, ultimately, God gives us this book that we might know that salvation belongs to the Lord through Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Because Jonah didn't understand that, right? Jonah didn't understand all that Christ would come and do. But why do we say now, boy, this book is actually pointing us to Jesus? There's a reason we say that. If you look at, if you were to look at Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, after his resurrection, there were, Jesus is speaking about the Old Testament, and he's speaking about their slowness to understand. And he's saying that in these prophets of the Old Testament, they all pointed to me and what I would come to accomplish and these are the things that they should have believed. In, in, in Luke 24, he says to them, O foolish ones, verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Is Jonah among those prophets? Yes. Did Jonah speak for God by his life? Yes. What is it that Jonah spoke about? Jesus says in verse 26, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And if you look at Matthew 12, verse 38, Jesus actually refers specifically to Jonah. He says in Matthew 12, verse 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So when we're reading Jonah... We are to see that salvation belongs to the Lord through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is saying that God delivered Jonah from the consequence of his own sin and rebellion and brought him forth from the belly of a great fish after three days so that he could use Jonah to proclaim the message of salvation to Nineveh that they should repent of their sin and trust in God for their salvation, and in so doing, they were delivered from certain judgment and death. But now Jesus says, I am here 
Jonah and Nineveh are a picture of the greater and more miraculous salvation I am bringing. What is that greater and more miraculous salvation? That God delivered Jesus from the consequence of our sin and rebellion, which he bore upon himself on the cross and raised him from the dead and brought him forth from the grave after three days so that Jesus might give the blessing of salvation to all those who repent of their sin and trust in him alone for their salvation. Through Christ alone, one can be delivered from certain judgment and will be raised from the dead with him on account of his righteousness. As a prophetic book, that's what I believe Jonah's primary meaning and aim is. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is where the importance of the book for us comes in. Because the purpose of this book given to Israel, to remind them of this salvation, it was also given to remind them that they were to communicate this message to people outside of Israel, right? They were to be a light to the Gentile nations. That was their calling. God had called them to proclaim his name to all the world. Um, through the offspring of Abraham, the nations of the world were going to be blessed. Moses understood that. God reminded him in Exodus 6 that he came to Moses and said, in, in light of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I come to you, the, the God of your fathers. Moses understood it. He wrote the Pentateuch. He understood that they were to be impacting the entire world. Isaiah understood it in Isaiah 42.6. King David understood it in Psalm 86.8-10. Solomon understood it as well in 1 Kings 8.41-43. Listen, listen to how Solomon puts it. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people, Israel, so that you may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. And he concludes in verse 59, Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. You have to understand, Israel was supposed to say, I want to make the name of God known to all people. And they were to take that message and they were to go and bring it to the Gentiles who were among them. And the problem with Israel in the time of Jonah, and this is the, one of the purposes for this book, is that they lacked concern 
for the spiritual welfare of the Gentiles. They lacked concern. They didn't care about the Gentiles. They didn't care about their suffering. They didn't care that they were under judgment. They didn't care that the Gentiles were going to hell. They did not care because they were so concerned with their own life and their own nation and the inworking of their own, their own lives and, and, and kings that to them, when they saw the Ninevites, they simply saw enemies, and they didn't want to do it. Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he understood that they despised him, and he despised them, and he did not want to go and have them know God's mercy. This is why Jonah says, in chapter 4, which we didn't read, verse 1 to 3, even after he goes and Nineveh repents, look at Jonah's response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. You see? This is a picture, and this book is given to Israel and to us to remind us and to learn from Jonah's life and experience that salvation belongs to the Lord through Jesus Christ. And this message is not to remain in your home. This message is not to remain in my home. Wherever you lay down your head and sleep, this message is not to remain there. This message is intended to be taken to all nations and people and tribes and tongues because salvation belongs to the Lord through Jesus Christ alone. And we have been given that gospel and that truth for a reason. And it's been given to us, yes, so that we might be redeemed, but it's been given to us so that we might communicate it. And so if there's something that we can learn from Jonah and that it can serve us as a church in our day and age, it is meant to remind us that we are to take the gospel into the nation in which we live, which is the United States of America, and make it known. And no matter how immoral this, world, this country gets, 
no matter how wicked, no matter how ungodly, no matter how violent against God, no matter how much this country turns as an enemy to the truth of God's word, you don't stop. You don't stop preaching the gospel. You don't. You do not silence your mouth for proclaiming the word of God to a nation because they threaten to put you in jail. Don't ever stop. Don't stop if they put you in the ground and your, your body is in the ground. Don't let that be a hindrance to your family. You, or you can't stop them, but family, don't let that be a hindrance. Don't let death be a hindrance of proclaiming the gospel. Don't let prison be a hindrance of proclaiming the gospel. Don't let the government force your hand to prevent you from speaking the truth about the gospel because you are afraid for your life. And especially, don't let your anger toward government in the United States prevent you from seeing that God wants to show mercy. If you become so mad at Biden and so mad at your governors and so mad at Newsom and so mad at the politics, if you can only see red because of your anger or because of your fear, you don't see anything. If that's all you see, you will never see that what the, the world needs is mercy and deliverance from God's judgment. And the only way that's going to come is through proclaiming the gospel. So I hope Jonah serves us to that end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this introduction and just, just for the reminder that salvation belongs to you and that this nation, yes, Lord, is increasingly wicked, but you are increasing, not increasingly, you are eternally and infinitely powerful that you never waver, you never doubt, you never are thrown asunder by the things of this world and what kings and leaders do. But your purposes stand and they are eternal. And just as you called this nation of Israel to be a beacon of light to a world about the salvation that was ultimately to come through Jesus Christ, and they knew it was their calling, and they disobeyed it, O oh God. So God, we know that now that Christ has come and we have been redeemed under the new covenant, that we have been given the same commission. And that commission is to make known to the world that salvation belongs to you. And so help us to see the life of Jonah and to see this book and to remember that we have a calling and we ought not fear. We ought not be afraid of the consequences and we ought not be blinded by our hatred or envy of the nation and the people that we live around. But we should see their need for mercy, Father. Help us to see that. Strengthen us, Father, to be bold and to be faithful. And help us, Lord, to preach the gospel and share it with our neighbors in a way that honors you and through which you can work to bring salvation to them. God, we, we thank you and we praise you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
who died, was buried, and rose again. Amen.